Well, good morning again, everybody. I know that uh, you were in the middle of saying hi to one another, and so we're so grateful for uh, the opportunity to be here this morning. I want to be able to welcome you again to Pomerado Christian Church, a place in which uh, we want to help people get plugged into the people and the purpose of the church, a place where we recognize we are not perfect people, but we're people who have been and are still being changed by God to make a change in this world, and that we're people who are called to be witnesses to who God is, what he's done, and how he loves through our words and our deeds. And so like our church initials, plugged in, changed by, called to our PCC, so that hopefully it helps us to remember the calling for our own lives and also the calling for our church. And so we are glad to be able to spend this time with you this morning. And we are beginning a brand new series called Friending. And in a month in which we often talk about romantic love, there's another love that is very important for us to talk about, the friendships uh, of what that looks like and how our friendships determine our future, our friendships determine our emotions, what we're processing through, our friendships can impact our relationship with God. And so last week we talked about the idea in our previous series, The Box of Not Yet. We talked about this idea about the principle of the path that Andy Stanley tells us that it's our direction, not our intention that determines our destination. And what that shows us is that we need to make sure that if we have a destination of where we want to be, who we want to become, and how we want to be most like Christ, then we need fellow journey members for that journey, for that trek, for that uh, opportunity there. And so with that being said, it's the idea of what does it look like to have the good kind of friends that surround us? What does it look like to maybe have to step back from different friends that might be tearing us down? What does it look like for us to give true gifts of friendship to one another? And so we're going to take the next three weeks to answer some of those questions, to look at some of those ideas. But before we dive into our topic this week, I'm going to ask that you would join me in a word of prayer as we dive into God's word together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are um, the giver of all good gifts. We thank you that you are here in this place. We thank you that one of the good gifts that you give us is the gift of friendship. Lord, I pray that as um, we have people here who might be brand new, we have people here who may have been here for years and still don't know if they feel like they have true friends. God, I pray that you would just break down walls this morning. I pray that you would work in an incredible way. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way to each and every one of us as we dive into your word. Lord, we love you and we're grateful for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this week, we're going to start our series talk of friending and look at the idea of fan, follower, or friend. And as we get started there, I want to share a story with you. When I was uh, in eighth grade, our school hosted a tournament of a bunch of other basketball teams. And this was, uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago, there was a picture of me in a, a basketball uniform. And it was truly just me wearing, like, being in a play, acting like someone who was uh, in an athletic prowess. This was the most athletic I've ever been. And so... I would, uh, we were playing basketball, uh, it was the, one of the games, and the game was tied, and I got fouled. And so, this was my opportunity. You guys, just so you know, for the three years before that, I was the free throw champion within, like, our little area. So, for my class, I was the free throw champion, went to, like, compete against other people. So, I was like, this is, this is good, I'm going to be just fine. And so, what I would do is when I would uh, take a free throw, I would spin the ball back, and then I would spell out the letter of the girls' names that I liked at the time. And so, of course, I just spelled out S-T-E. 
E P H. I haven't even met Steph yet, but it was prophetic. No. So it's one of those where I would take it and I took the shot and I, and I miss. So the pressure is coming on at this point. I do it again. S T E P H. Shoot it. And I miss it again. And the, one of my team mem- teammates, his name is John, he got the rebound. He got fouled. He just, he drained both of them, made both free throws. We won the game. But in the excitement of us winning, there was this loneliness and sadness of the fact that I had missed those shots. And people remembered his makes more than they remembered my misses. But I had the opportunity to, to take that shot and to do that. And, I've, and I've, I messed up. I failed. I didn't get it done. And, you know, friends try to console me and things like that. Um, And again, we won the game, so it wasn't a huge deal. But it reminds me of just this idea of how important it is for us to take shots, how important it is for us to try, how important it is for us to step out. And when we're talking about friendships, uh, you know, with Shaylin, my youngest, it's it's one of those, and even Elise, uh, sorry, not my youngest, Shaylin's my oldest, Elise is my youngest. Um, Even with them, it's times where they talk about like, I'm like, oh, do you have any friends in your classroom? She's like... Like, yeah, I don't know. We haven't, I haven't like asked them to be my friend yet. And it's like, in kids, it's so simple, right? Because you just walk up to the playground, like, will you be my friend? And it's like, yeah, let's be friends. And then they go and play together. (laughs) And as adults, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more difficult, right? Because you got to see, okay, are we compatible? Like, are they going to like the same sports teams as me? Or are we just going to have to needle them the whole time? Are we going to be able to get along? I mean, whatever it is, there's all these different layers. But with kids, it's so simple. Will you be my friend? And their friend request is like them talking to one another rather than something you see pop up on your phone. And so it's this idea of friendship and how important it is and how simple it can be for kids, but for adults, it's so much harder. That according to the data of the General Social Survey, the number of Americans who say that they have no close friends has roughly doubled since 1985. And when people are asked, how many close confidants do you have? The most common response is zero. That we live in an age in which we are surrounded by people. That we could look, and yes, population-wise, there's a bunch of people, but even just social networks and getting connected with people that way, it's like we are surrounded by people. We are bombarded by so many others around us, and yet... As our main point's going to tell us today that like Jesus, we are surrounded by people. Some of us may have fans, many want followers, but we all need friends. And so we talk about this idea of fans and followers and friends, and I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. Um, John chapter 6 is on page 1650. Um, let's see here, 1657. But as you're turning there, what I want to get across is that we're going to look at the story with Jesus, that there were three different groups of people that were following him in this story. And the context of this story is that in the beginning of John chapter six is the feeding of the 5,000 men, not including women and children. So the number was much higher than that. But in that feeding of the 5,000 men, and then also women and children, that there were this crowd that was following him. And then we start to see the fact that after the crowd was there, that he starts to uh, go to the 
the other side. He sends the disciples away. He goes off and then he walks along water. And so there's that passage too. And then he ends up on the other side of the lake. And so we see that there's the, the crowd that follows him because of uh, the feeding of the 5,000. There's that crowd. Then we get to see a little bit about his disciples. And then we get to see the 12. And we see the breakdown of fans, followers, friends. We see the crowd, the disciples, the 12. And so we look at this idea here that when we look in your notes, when it comes to fans, fans may want to be connected without making a real connection. That fans may want to be connected without making a real connection. Here's what Jesus talks about when he sees the, um, the, the crowd come in verse 22. John chapter 6. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the, Lord re- sorry, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Verse 25. When they found him in the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, where did you get he- when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I've performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. That he recognized that they were only following him, not because they had an ache in their soul they wanted Jesus to fill, but because they had an ache in their belly that they thought could be filled. That they wanted to be connected to him without actually having a connection with him. They wanted to be tangentially near him without him having actually to make a change in their lives. And so he says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which a son of man will give you for on him, God the Father has placed a seal of approval. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? The work of God is this, Jesus answered, to believe in the one he has sent. He's looking at them and saying, you, you can't just want the benefits of being connected to me without actually having a connection with me. That it has to go beyond just the tangential, the benefits that you have. Because you and I, in this culture, um, and in this specific time, it's, we, we talked about the benefit of technology to be able to stay connected, and that's 100% true. But I have 1,190 friends on Facebook and 808 followers on Instagram, and yet when I'm going through a tough time, I don't have 1,190 people that I call, right? And that's not like a humble brag to be like, oh, look how many friends I have. Like, it's one of those where it's just this idea that we can buy into that we can wrongfully assume or wrongfully believe that having a lot of Facebook friends means that we have a lot of actual friends. We could wrongfully believe that having a following means that we actually have people who are walking with us in our lives. That when we surround ourselves with fans, people that are just wanting to be connected without a connection, surrounding ourselves with fans heightens our loneliness. It's that moment when you walk into a room that everybody else seems to know everybody else. And you feel like you stand out like a sore thumb because you're by yourself. That you're in a crowd, yet you feel lonely. 
It's that moment in which everybody else seems to be having a good time, and yet you are standing there wondering, how come no one sees me? How come no one wants to get to know me? And how come I'm just in this place by myself, surrounded by strangers? And we can experience this when we go to school. We can experience this when we go to work. We can experience this when we go to a party or whatever. And, and truth be told, there are times we can experience this when we go to church, where we walk in and maybe we're visitors and everybody else knows everybody. And then we feel like nobody wants to know us. And so what we need to do is we need to have these moments of saying, let's go in deeper. Let's, let's recognize that if we just surround ourselves with people and feel like because I have 1,190 Facebook friends and 808 Instagram followers, that, that means that I have true friends when really it just shows how many times it's how lonely we can be when we think we're surrounded by people and we're not in times of difficulty. Uh, Craig Rochelle, he quotes this from Proverbs 17, 17. He says, a friend is someone you may or may not know <clears throat> well who accepts your friend request on Facebook. This person is born to like and comment on your posts to make you feel good about yourself. Proverbs 17, 17, FBV, Facebook version. Um, <laughs> and so Craig Rochelle, he puts that because we have, we have woefully sold short the idea of what a friendship means now that we have put, taken it to the lowest common denominator that a friend is whoever's going to react to a photo or a post rather than someone who's going to come alongside me and walk alongside me and help grow me and mold me and shape me and sharpen me to become more like Christ. And so we get to this point where we think that we call them people friends, but it's not really that level of depth that true friendship is meant to have. So what are the things that we could do? Your notes talks about how we must put our phones down and we must pick our mugs up. We must put down our phones and actually go and have a cup of coffee with someone and talk to someone to be able to have a relationship, look eye to eye with someone. That we could buy into the idea that we can, instead of having a bunch of friends over for dinner, that we can just have a group message, and nobody likes group messages because those just keep popping up all the time. But we think that that's enough. But it's not. Craig Rochelle says it this way. He says, I will develop my friendships face-to-face, -face, not thumbs-to-thumbs. That it's not about texting only. It's not about just social media. It's not about these things. It's about actually needing to meet with people. That there's, a, there's an idea here that says in a time when any given person can have thousands of quote friends and quote followers on their social media account, Dunbar, who's a sociologist, states that these digital developments help us keep in touch when in the past a relationship might just have died. But in the end, we actually have to get together to make a relationship work. We actually have to get together. We need to put our phones down and take, pick our mugs up to ha do life with one another, even when it's not easy. So we talk about fans, this idea of we, could just ha we can be fooled into thinking lots of friends on social media means that we have lots of friends in real life. That the crowd, that Jesus could have been thinking, oh, look, all these people who love me. He's like, no, he knows right to their core of their hearts. So many times Jesus does this, right, where he's able to say, I know what you're really thinking, and he's able to speak into it. And so in this moment, he's saying, you only follow me because you want to be connected with me and get the benefits of being around me rather than actually having a connection, a relationship with me. So that's the idea of the fans. And let's look over a little bit more on the followers when it comes to 
in the notes here, it says that followers may accept us when we are acceptable. Followers may accept us when we are acceptable. We're going to jump into a little bit further in the story of John chapter 6, going back to verse uh, 50 or so, 52 or so. It says that the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread of heaven that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? That these are his disciples. This isn't his 12, his closest, but these are the ones. Disciple just means learner. It's this idea of someone who's a student, someone who's a follower. And so this is a little bit closer than a fan who just wants to get the food and be connected without a connection. This is someone who is going to be a little bit closer, but when they got to this point, when they heard his teaching, they said, who can accept it? And in verse 66, it jumped down there. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That we recognize that followers may accept us when we are acceptable, that when we are approved of, that when other people think that we're okay, that then that means that we have, that means that we have friends, right? That we have people that are with us, but it's only when we are acceptable. It's not when we're in our difficult times. That whenever we post something online, maybe I'm just speaking for me, but it's like there's so many different photos that you take until you get like the right photo that looks good. And then you put a filter over it and then you end up putting like a pithy one-liner caption or something to make yourself so clever. And it's one of those where you end up filtering your lives so many times before you actually put yourself out there that no one really gets to know you. That we hide behind filters, we hide behind pithy one-liners, we hide behind the uh, desire to get reactions and to be known and to be accepted, but we are only allowing our most filtered selves to be accepted by other people. Because we wrongfully believe that if people really knew us, people would reject us. That we think if someone actually knew me, my strengths, yes, but my weaknesses, my, my heartaches, my wounds, my brokenness. If someone actually knew me, there's no way they would accept me. There's no way that they would love me. But we learn this truth that we might appreciate people's strengths, but we are bonded together by our weaknesses. That vulnerability opens the door for true community. That when I come up and I share a story about, you know, something that happens and it sounds like it's a good story and I, it sounds like I, you know, did a good job at something, then you're like, oh, that's a nice story. When I come up and I share the time when I'm so stressed out about school, uh, trying to get Shaylin there on time, that I'm rushing and she spills her food and I get upset, I'm like, how do we got to get going? And I'm driving there and I see her in the rear view mirror behind me just sad and wondering, why is dad mad at me? Why are we in such a hurry? Why are we so stressed that when I share that story and I realize I have to apologize to my daughter and ask for forgiveness, 
you guys connect with that more than when things go, when we filtered our lives to make it look like everything's fine. Vulnerability opens the door for community. We bond over our weaknesses. So we wrongfully believe if people know us that they would never accept us. So surrounding ourselves with followers keeps our walls up. It means we hide behind our walls, we hide behind our filters, we hide behind our pithy one-liners, we hide behind the self-manicured self that we want so badly for you to believe who we truly are. And in so doing, we never let who we are, we never get to actually be known or accepted or loved for who we really are because we feel like if I let someone in, they're going to deny me. And if I'm not accepted, if we buy too much into what people think about us, if I'm not accepted for who I am, or if I'm not accepted for my struggles, my weaknesses, my hurts, my habits, my hangups, if I'm not accepted, then we then believe, we take it to that next step that's unhealthy to then think that I am not acceptable. And then we think that shame comes in, and then we don't allow ourselves to be loved, and then we live lives of self-imposed, solitary confinement where we won't get to know other people and we dare not let other people know us. And so what we must do is we must break our walls down and let people in. Then the same way that it takes a little vulnerability for a child to be like, will you be my friend? And like, yeah, let's be friends. And then they just, it's just done. Like, it works. It's, it's this idea that we need to be vulnerable to let other people in, to break down our walls, to say, I don't have it all together. I'm struggling with this, 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 and this. I need someone to walk alongside me to encourage or shape or mold or iron sharpening iron. And guess what? When my times of struggle come and you come alongside and help me, then when your times of struggle come, then I could come alongside you. And it's this thing called friendship. It's this thing that's not just about being accepted when people are acceptable. It's knowing that we can be accepted for who we are. Those people who truly know you, know all your dirt, love you the same, and will point you towards Christ. And so we see that the disciples, so many deserted Jesus because they were following, but once he became unacceptable, their teaching was unacceptable or hard to accept, they left. And so we're going to close here with this last point that we have is that friends, we've looked at fans, Followers, friends are born for adversity. Friends are born for adversity. Let's read the last few verses, starting in verse 67 of John 6. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12, yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the 12 was later to betray him. Every once in a while, you know how like even in a text that when there's th- something written, you can't always tell the tone of what it's being said or how it's being said. Verse 67 is one that I, I wish I could hear the tone of how Jesus said this. Because it could be more of like an anger thing or more of like a, you know, the crowd has left, some of his followers have left, and he could be like, well, you don't want to leave me too, do you? But if I were to venture a guess, again, this is a guess, I wonder if it's a moment where he broke down the walls, he let people in and said, hey, you were my 12, you were my closest, 
you don't want to leave me too, do you? In this moment of him trying to share who he is, that he is the bread of heaven, he is our sustenance, he is our provision. But in this moment of recognizing that people had left, and he says, do you don't want to leave me too, do you? Because when we surround ourselves with friends, surrounding ourselves with friends means that we can be pointed to God even during trials. And in these moments of difficulty, Peter gives him just this beautiful statement of faith. He says, to where else would we go? We've come to believe that you have the words of life. You are the Holy One. Where else could we go? And so in the notes, when it talks about surrendering, sorry, surrounding ourselves with friends, means we can be pointed to God during trials. We have come to believe, verse 69, and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That they breathed life into him and helped him to remember that they are with him through thick and through thin. And then, of course, it talks about specifically Judas as the one who wasn't out of those 12. But you see the pattern of from fans or the crowd to followers or the disciples to the friends who are the 12. And so we look here and we recognize the actual Proverbs 17.17, not the FBV Facebook version, but the actual Proverbs 17.17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And then Proverbs 18.24 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That true friendships are the ones that when difficulty arises, don't feel like they have to give you a prescription to tell you how to feel. True friends are the ones that can just sit with you in silence when you don't know what to do. True friends are the ones that can laugh with you, cry with you, pray with you, and often all in the same conversation. True friends are the ones that when there's a deployment and there's going to be difficulty, they come and surround you. True friends are the ones that when you find out that news from the doctor that you never thought you'd hear and those words you never thought would be applied to you, that they can just be with you and not try to tell you how to feel, but just sit with you while you feel whatever you're feeling. That true friends are born for adversity. They surround us in times and they help point us to God, not by telling us all these verses that we need to do or to think, but to just be with us and to be like Christ who was incarnational. He was in the flesh, that we could be Jesus in the flesh to people in the midst of whatever they're experiencing. So you and I, we must choose to be known in order to know the beauty of friendship. That is a choice that we make. That Jesus in John chapter 6 talks about, I have chosen you 12, though one of you is a devil. But he uses this verbiage of, you must, I have chosen you, and we must choose to be known in order to truly know the beauty of friendship. That we could buy into the idea that lots of Facebook friends, that we could buy into the idea that lots of filters and walls built up. We could buy into the idea that that is what is friendship, but that is far removed from the desire that God has for us. It is far removed from the community that we are created to have. And it is far removed from what will give us life and life to the full. So we see 
that in John chapter 15, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in verses 9 through 17, it specifically starts talking about this idea, again, using this choosing language. Verse 13 says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whenever you ask in my name, whatever you ask in my name, the Lord, will, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. But this idea of being chosen, that we choose to either hide behind our filters, to hide behind our Facebook friends, to hide behind these things, or to actually go up to someone and say, even as adults, will you be my friend? Can we be friends? And recognize that sometimes we have to let people in in order to truly experience what God has for us. You know, I started off this sermon sharing with you the time when I was playing basketball and took those free throws and I missed those shots. And I wish that I would have made them that would have been nice and it would have been great and it would have been a much better story. Um, but in that moment, I, was, I had the opportunity to try. I had the opportunity to at least take that shot. And Wayne Gretzky, different sport, uh, Wayne Gretzky is uh, known as the greatest hockey player. Um, he has a quotation that he said where uh, you don't make 100%, or sorry, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. The fuller quote of that is something where it says, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, even though there's only a 1% to 5% possibility or probability of scoring. So it's recognizing that we sometimes have to just take those shots, and even if it's just a small percentage that there may be a goal that is scored, it's worth taking it because you don't make any of the shots that you don't take. And I share that here because when it comes to friendships, we could continue to miss by buying only into being fans of people who like and love and have a smiley face or a frowny face or an angry face on Facebook reactions. We can like and fall into that idea of just keeping a distance of what I like about someone on their post rather than actually loving someone face to face. That we could buy into the idea that we can just purely live our lives uh, thumbs to thumbs and ignore face to face time. That we could do all these different things or we could take a shot and you might have a friend that you want to say like, maybe God has kind of stirred, hey, it would be nice to get to know that person a little bit more. I've seen that person, they're in a similar stage of life as me. Maybe I should just reach out to them and say, you know, can we be friends? And I share this with you because this is what I'm going through right now in the sense of uh, yesterday, February 16th, 2019, marked the one year anniversary that me and my family moved down here. And so uh, it was really exciting for us. We've just been so excited about what God has done this past year. Uh, we're looking forward to what he's doing and what he will continue to do. But when people ask me how it's going, I'm like, the church is great. I love the people. I love what I'm doing. It's just, it's so awesome. I say, what I'm still trying to figure out are who are my community? What does it look like to build those friendships? Because I was at a church for 12 years before, and, and it's easy to then think like, okay, I'm, gone, I'm there for 12 years. You don't make up friendships in 12, that you've had for 12 years in 12 months. Also, when you're around some people all the time, like I was with my friends up north, you, it's easy to think, oh, these are, these are going to be our friends that we're going to be with for a while. 
and we think, oh, we'll meet halfway, we'll still grab lunch, we'll still hang out, we'll still text and talk. And I've had the, the, the pain of texting friends that I was really close to and then just not hearing back. Or it's, it's, it's busyness, it's not personal, like whatever, but it's this moment of recognizing that sometimes we can think that because there's a close proximity with people, that that means that, there are, that they're truly friends. And it doesn't mean that I have ill will towards them, but it means I'm learning what does it mean to make those friendships. And when I talk to other pastors and, I, and they share things like, what's the hardest thing you've ever experienced in ministry? And again, I'm just being fully forthright with you. One of the hardest things that they say is when friends that they've known and loved and trusted for decades smear their character or backstab them or leave. And so uh, just being honest, it's so easy for me to then say, okay, well then I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to do that. It would be easy for me to want to build up walls, but I don't want to build up walls. It would be easy for me to hide behind filters. I don't want to hide behind filters. It would be easy for me to just think that I have a lot of people who know me and I know people without actually truly choosing to be actually known. Because to be known is scary. But to be known is beautiful. Not that it's easy. But when someone knows your foibles, your hurts, your habits, your hangups, your struggles, and they show you God's love anyways, there are very few things that are as rich as that. That this series about friending shows us that instead of building up our walls, we can break them down one conversation at a time. We could put down our phones and pick up our mugs one conversation at a time. That we could build friendships. We could go and say, will you be my friend? And as simple as that might sound, it feels socially more, or that's not kind of weird. What would it look like for us to be a church that continues to focus on being friends to one another and pointing one another to being friends of God so that when I'm struggling, you got my back. When you're struggling, I got yours. And in so doing, we are living the life that God has called us to live, not as a solo sport, but Christianity as a team sport, that we come alongside one another. Like Jesus, you and I, we are surrounded by people. Some of us may have fans. Many of us want more followers. But we all need, yes, you, and yes, me, we all need true friends. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you for each person that is here in this place, and I thank you for those that might be watching online or listening online later. God, I thank you for the fact that uh, you have called us your friend, that we are no longer servants that are uh, unaware of what you're doing and how you're working, but you have welcomed us in, Jesus, as friends. And I pray that we would be friends, that in the midst of our adversities, that we would still lean into you, that we would still trust in you, that we would still um, draw close to you, and that our faith and relationship with you isn't based on what we can get from you, but to draw close to you, become more like you. Lord, I pray for people in this room that might just have that ache of loneliness, that pang of pain.
that they feel like they don't quite know how to trust someone because they've been betrayed, because they've been hurt, because they've been let down, and it would be so easy for us to walk around with being like in a big bubble that we just bounce into each other without actually getting to know one another. Lord, I pray that we would break down our walls, that we would break down our filters, that we would put down our phones, that we would pick up our mugs, that we would live face to face and not thumbs to thumbs, and that, Lord Jesus, that our friendships in good times and bad would be so born out of adver- or born for adversity and would be so honoring to you that we would be able to draw close to one one another as we are drawn close to you, as we are being pointed to you in the midst of trials and difficulty. So I pray for those who are going through a tough time now, Lord, and I pray that you would help them to know that they can have people who are stick closer than a brother. I pray for those who need to know that a friend loves at all times and are born for adversity. God, I pray that you are stirring in our hearts that people would draw closer to one another again as we draw close to you and that we would learn the beauty of being known, the beauty of community, and the beauty of friendship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask you guys to stay standing. I'm going to ask the elders to come forward again. Um, and, you know, we just sang that song about, a lot of the songs today talked about how the greatness of God, this passage from Psalm 40 talks about the greatness of God, that our God is great, our God is good. Uh, and as we just saying that there is upper t- there's times in which we need to rely on God, that he is stronger, he is greater, but that also that he is healer and that he is awesome in power. And the reason I'm bringing the elders forward is, is I want to be able to kind of let you all know uh, something that's going on with, uh, with Dan and Jill Goodham. Uh, Dan is our youth pastor. Uh, he and Jill have been here for several years now. And um, last Monday... Uh, Jill had a surgery to remove a a very large mass, um, and they found out that it was cancerous. Um, And so we, uh, it's one of those where there's still some more tests that they are running. Uh, They're going to find out more information, uh, hopefully this week. Um, But then even as of uh, the past couple days, she um, was getting really severe migraines. And so she went back to the ER, um, and we visited her yesterday, or visited Dan rather yesterday, she was able to go home, uh, but we are praying for them. And, and many people might want to ask, you know, how can we help? Can we send cards? Can we, can we send texts? Can we bring meals? I think there will be a time for that. But right now, they're just in the midst of it. They're in the thick of this. And so uh, what they have asked is for our prayers. Um, they would ask that, that we are praying. Uh, we will let you know if there's, when the tangible needs arise. Uh, but even we, we talked with uh, Dan yesterday. It's a, it's a moment where he said, it's hard for me to keep up with texts and everything. And so we don't want to bombard them necessarily. Uh, but we want to pray for them. And we want to be able to lift them up in prayer that these migraines would, just can, would be completely eradicated, that they got all the cancer so that when they get the test back, that there would be no sign that it had spread. And just for their own um, physical, spiritual, emotional well-being. And so, again, I've asked the elders to come forward because we are a house of prayer. And so if you would, again, feel comfortable extending your hands, you can. If not, that's, that's okay, too. Uh, but we're going to ask our elders to pray for, for Dan and Jill. We want to ask that you would continue uh, to pray for them as well. So, David, will you start? Lord, our, our hearts are broken this morning to, with this news. Lord, what a blessing Dan and Jill have been in our lives, in our church, in our youth, in my family, in my kids. Lord, what a blessing that they both have 
been, and it's been a blessing to work alongside Jill on the stage as, and serve with her in various uh, groups and, and uh, committees and so forth. So it's been a blessing to see her, and Lord, we just pray uh, for a blessing on her emotionally, on, on her spiritually, but mostly uh, on her physically, that you would return her to robust health and that she would be uh, strong and, and be able to serve you further. Um, and we also ask that you uh, come alongside Dan as he is the man of God that he should be and help him to continue to do that and helped him to also be the husband that he also is, and that he can come alongside her and support her throughout this. And so we ask your blessing on uh, Jill and on Dan. Lord, we would just like to ask your healing hands upon both Jill and Dan. We'd like to ask, Lord, that uh, you completely eradicate and remove any cancer from her body, any signs of cancer from her body, Lord that you allow her to be at peace mentally, Lord, with this, uh, because as tough as it is physically, it's equally as tough mentally. And so, Lord, we would just ask that you be able to uh, allow that process to take place, to both a healing, a physical healing, and just be mentally at peace with all of this, Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I'd like to add to the prayers that everyone in this room has praying silently right now, I believe, and what's being offered on this stage, Lord, for healing for for Jill, Lord. When we first saw the text that, that we received, I couldn't believe it, and I really had to read it over maybe more than once, twice, three times. Uh, and I thought of sitting next to uh, Dan and Jill maybe three weeks ago and looking down and commenting on her sparkly shoes that she was wearing and and just having that conversation, it just didn't seem possible that she was sick. You know, she seemed so full of life. So, Lord, we pray that you will be in the midst of this. There is nothing that you can't do, Lord. The Bible is full of times where you just spoke and people were healed, Lord. And so, Lord, we just ask you to speak into this situation as well, Lord, that you would take Dan and Jill and their parents too, Lord, into your arms and just hold them for a little while. Give them peace and rest. Let them feel your presence, Father. And bring them back to us stronger, Father, and more able to serve you in a different kind of way than they've ever been known to do before, Lord. We thank you for this, Lord. God, as you know, when I, when I heard that news, it caused me to double over and put my hands on my knees. And Lord, probably as they heard that it was cancerous, it caused them to go to their knees, Lord, if not literally, at least figuratively. And Lord, I pray that while they're down there and they're, they're praying to you and they're wanting to know what's going on and what is the next thing for them and their, their veil of invincibility that we all have in our youth in regards to our health, Lord, it's been pierced. And I just pray that they're able to, to stand up, that you lift them up, Lord. They're able to stand firm in their faith, in their trust, in you as the great physician, the great healer, their creator, Lord. I pray that they got all the cancer. I pray that these migraines go away. I pray, Lord, that she comes back even healthier and stronger and that their own relationship with one another, Lord, is strengthened by this. 
but Lord, that their faith in you will be only stronger as they go through this adversity. That Lord, they're able, while they're there and they're going through it and their caregivers are with them, they're able to be different. They're able to show and share their faith. Lord, may they be inspired by Jack Finley and Chris Giffen, who did just the exact same thing, Lord, as, as they were going through their battles. And we have so many others here, Lord, that have done that. In times of adversity, that's when we need our faith. And Lord, may it shine through them. I now ask you, Lord, to be with each and every one of us, that when we go out to the world, may we realize that you accepted us when we were unacceptable that you died for us, Lord, so that when somebody reaches out to us and asks us why we're different, what is it that causes us to be different, Lord, that we will be a friend to them and share the gift of grace that is offered to everyone, Lord. We pray that they, they reach out to us, that we take that shot and share that with them. Lord, we just ask you to help us all be different in the way we live our lives. May we all be drawn closer to you. In your son's sweet and holy name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to ask, uh, you guys are dismissed. If you would like prayer for anything, whether it's related to this or not, I'm asking the elders to, to kind of stay near the front if you want to be able to, to pray about anything. Uh, we, we will keep you posted on ways to help out. Uh, but in the meantime, just continue to pray for Dan and Jill. We'll see you all next week. God bless you guys. And we're looking forward to uh, another worship week to worship together next week. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming.